the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Um, the show is in two parts. First part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, that's avoiding probate especially, because things are really slow because of COVID, so we want to avoid going through court if we can. And as far as elder law is concerned, we're trying to save assets from nursing home bills. In a lot of cases, what we're trying to do is save the house, losing the house to nursing home bills. And that's what we do at Connors and Sullivan, and that's what this show's about. The second part of the show, and even if you come into Connors and Sullivan, we talk a lot about history. And today we're going to be talking about history, and we'll go into that a little bit later. But with me right now is my wife, Beth, and you had a question? I do have a question. First of all, we have... Um something fun that's going to be happening at the office because uh, we're going to be starting your grand scene. You've been, my husband's been looking forward to this for many, many years. The grand scene being... I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> that's exactly right. No, no, no. Nobody's no, no. interested in this. Yes, they are because people have so much fun. A handful of historians are interested, but otherwise... No, we have people... Are you kidding? People come to see your collections. Now, wait, wait. I'm not finished. So now we've been talking about we're going to... It's going to be 12 feet by 15 feet. And it's going to be the third day at Gettysburg, and it's going to be Pickett's Charge, and it's going to be incredible, and we'll probably be starting on it in February. And and then you have all your other collections that are all here. But I have a question. Are all these little toy soldiers in your will? 
how how is this done? You have this magnificent collection, and what if you know what if I have some private personal things that that mean something to me? When you do a will, ordinarily when you do a will, there's something called a residuary in your will. There's always a residuary if it's a will drafted by anything who knows anything. And the only times I haven't seen residuaries for the most part is like if people start printing up these wills off the internet and don't and do something incredibly stupid. But we've um, seen we've had problems with those yes. wills. So But in any event, you know, we say I leave all the rest residue and remainder of my estate, that would be included if you don't own it specifically otherwise give it away. Well, what if I have, you know, my grandmother's ring? and that... It goes in the residuary unless you specifically give it to someone else. And oh. if you're in a taxable estate position, which some of us here may be, um, if you start putting those things, then the IRS is going to want an appraisal of those things. And sometimes the appraisal costs more than the things are worth. Now, I mean, yeah, that's going to be on a taxable estate, which right now in New York is $6.5 million, roughly. Um, almost double that for the federal, $12,900,000. But if you're over that amount and you start listing these diamond rings and these other things, then you may get hit for an appraisal on these things. And that's why years ago, when almost everything was taxable, a lot of lawyers didn't like listing the jewelry in the, in the will because, you know, you might get a, a letter from the IRS, what's the value of the jewelry? And a lot of times, too, the jewelry was uh, – I'm I, not crazy about jewelry in some cases going in the will because in, in a lot of cases, the jewelry disappears by the time the person's gone. Well, sometimes you just give something away to somebody in the moment. Right. And and then you don't you know, want to have to change your will because plus, you remember. Not only that, you get older, you, you, you go from your home to a nursing home. Right. Um, things disappear. Uh, yeah, I hate to say yeah. it. Sometimes home attendants, they take things. Yeah. And listen, most people are honest, but, you know, if there are people coming in and out of your house, some one of them may not be. Yeah. And a lot of times that stuff disappears. So, yeah. Well, what, uh, I mean, years ago, you know, you used to say a, an executor's letter. What's an executor's letter? Well, that's, an executor's letter is not binding. But you give that stuff to, let's say, a family member you you know, your son, your daughter, another relative. And you say, I give all my tangible personal items to my executor to distribute according to my wishes. And then you write a letter. It's not legally binding. The executor can take it and take the whole thing on his or her own account. So it's, it's like I said, it's not legally binding. But then the executor hopefully distributes according to your wishes. And of course, one of the advantages of that is if you do that, you don't need to change the terms of your will Let's say you, you pick up something else. You don't want to have to do a new will because you picked up another piece of jewelry. And like I said, it's not legally binding. It's certainly not foolproof. It starts family fights in a lot of cases because grandma said I was going to get her ring and or somebody said I was going to get the Cartier bracelet and there's no Cartier bracelet when everything's said and done. So, you know, it's 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 not a perfect world. and Sometimes you just do the best you can. Well, that's. Uh, I know people get upset when people die, and then all the other stuff on top of it. So I guess that answers. Because I'm, you know, what's going to happen? Does everything just go to Michael, and then he determines what he's going to do with In it? In the long run, I guess so. Now there is there is one thing that you said to him about your Civil War 
toy soldier collection. And what is that? Well, I was just thinking, and I'm not sure this is going to be true, but maybe hold the collection until 2061, because that'll be the 200th anniversary of the Civil War. And I think some of these Civil War pieces might be worth more in value when the 200th anniversary, there's going to be some things. But who knows what the world is going to be like in, you know, another... 40 years, give or take. The collection. Well, con- considering my generation's ability to understand and appreciate history, I think I might just hold on to them. Forever? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's a collection is for the person who collects things. And I don't think we should worry about anything else, just in, enjoy things as much as possible. Now, I was doing a seminar this past week, and a couple of people asked me how Father Paul is doing. Hopefully he should be back sometime in the month of February, and we're you know in the middle of January now, so obviously February's not that far away. So we look forward to seeing him. As far as we know, he's okay. We haven't gotten a letter saying anything different. Um, so we'll let you know as soon as he comes in, and we'll have him on the radio show within days of him coming in, assuming you know his schedule fits it. You know, sometimes he comes in, he's got to go to a conference in Washington or somewhere else. But we'll have him on as soon as we can. And, I, you know, i got to tell him that, you know, a lot of people have been asking for him over the last couple of years. And, and you know, and thank you for those people who are sending us checks, you know, small or large. Everything is we're, he's grateful for everything, which means we're grateful for everything. And, you know, you send us a, a check for one hundred dollars. It's appreciated. You send us a check for fifty dollars. It's appreciated. He does an awful lot with the money because he doesn't collect a salary. And, you know, whatever money he gets, he, he gets paid like 400 euros a month, which, which is paid by his order. So he does, not, he does not need a lot of money to exist. So any money that comes in goes for medical supplies, paying for his ambulance, paying for the clinic. And he doesn't really have a very high budget. I was astounded when we, you know, heard some of the numbers, how low they are. So, but but that really means any any little contribution helps because it, he helps him get on the way. Um, also, and listen, he he thinks he's alive because of all of you prayers. that have prayed for him. So don't stop that. Don't forget the importance of prayer. And by the way, we're you know, if we're at St. Joseph's in Astoria the other day, if any of you have a church group, community group, even business organization. If you want us to do a seminar there about estate planning and elder law, we're very we're very open to doing that. I just need a couple of ordinarily just need a couple of months' notice to fit it in my schedule, and we'll talk as long as you want, whether it's twenty minutes, a half hour, an hour. Um, very rarely do we talk more than an hour, but I, you know, like if there is something that's pressing and you you need an hour and a half to fill, we can do that. Um, and again, talking about estate planning, it's not. Estate planning is not rocket science, but at the same time, it's not as easy as some people think. And, you know, a lot of times we can talk for, you know, 30 minutes and then spend 30 minutes answering questions. But if you have a group out there, whether it's a church group, a synagogue, community group, senior citizens um, group or whatever, we're more than happy to, you know, do our seminars. We'll schedule it a month or two ahead of time. You know, anywhere within the city, um, and obviously we don't, I shouldn't say obviously, but we don't charge for it. Just call up, we'll go there, we'll give you our materials that we usually give on a regular seminar, and 
you know, some people, obviously some people like it because we've been doing it for, you know, about 30 years now. All right, I think we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. We'll listen to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors, now accompanied by my wife, Beth, and my son, Michael. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Let's the Lawyer. Uh... You know, right now, one of our clients happened to be around, and we asked him to come on the show, Walt Johansson, who's a retired commander, United States Naval Reserve. And we're just talking a little bit about history in World War II. Um, first, Walt, can you give the audience an idea of your background? Oh, I'm originally from the Bronx, and almost exactly 70 years ago, moved up to Yonkers, and uh, been living there basically ever since then. Uh, except for about maybe 30 years or so when the Naval Service had me and when the Naval Service told me in 1995, how did you stay around so long for 30 years? Get out of here. Very same time, my niece says, you got to go home, take care of grandma. So I'm back in Yonkers. I 
after that, I uh, was needing to support myself and uh, got certified, taught uh, social studies in, I suppose I'll leave nameless, a school district that's immediately north of the Bronx, where, as I keep on telling people, I saw more combat 15 years <laughs> than, than 30 years in the military, and uh, taught social studies, and I've been... Uh, Ever since 11th grade, seriously interested in, in history, the first real serious book I ever read was uh, in the 11th grade, reading Shire's uh, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. But even as a, as a kid, everybody in the neighborhood, every father was a vet of World War II. And uh, heck, the, the coach of our Little League team, you could see the scars of war. He had some serious wounds that he got in his uh, lower right leg from a uh, being an infantry on the Italian front uh, during the war. So it, it's been part of me, and I've been always curious about it from the very beginning. Yeah, you know, that's one of the sad things today. Like, so you belong to some of the veterans groups, and all, almost all the World War II veterans are gone now. I mean, the, the people I knew well are all gone. There's one guy here and one guy there that I know tangentially, but all the World War II veterans I knew are gone, which includes includes my father, who's gone quite a few years, but he was in the 36th Infantry Division. Um, and they had some tough fighting even toward the end of the war. My, my father didn't quite see anything like that, as a matter of fact. He, he graduated from Roosevelt High School in the Bronx, right by Fordham University, in June of 41. By that time, his older brother had been working on aircraft up in Buffalo at, uh, I forget, could have been Fratton Whittemead, I'm not sure, so when my dad was looking for a job right after he got uh, graduated high school, come on up here and work on planes. Well, my dad was there for maybe two years, and just the way the Army does things, as I cynically say, you figure somebody with that background, they would have drafted him and put him into the horse cavalry. Hmm. Lo and behold, they took somebody whose job, according to his discharge papers I found, he, he was basically the guy to, to put the holes in the fuselage when the next guy along came to put the rivets in. So uh, the Army, acting very smartly, sent him to uh, to the Army Air Corps, went to various schools in, in Michigan from uh, the General Motors, was uh, shifted to aircraft and, and tank production, and uh, down to Keesler Field, in the, uh, Mississippi, now an Air Force base. And he made his way via the Suez Canal by troop ship to uh, what's now Pakistan and from Karachi, the, the uh, uh, the British uh, Indian Railway over to eastern India. And he basically was crew on the, I think, the C-47 C aircraft. And all he really only talked about was when they would fly support missions for Merrill's Marauders into Burma. These were the guerrillas fighting behind the Japanese lines. And they would uh, basically fly supply missions, as they said, over the hump, over the, uh, the Himalayas into Chongqing, where uh, we were helping uh, Shanghai Shek, and that was the only line of communication, line of supply that we had, flying aircraft over the Himalaya Mountains. And he, he brought some stories which basically led me, when my time came, to say I wouldn't go Army and I wouldn't go Air, Air Force. So that's what led me originally to uh, Marine Corps and Navy. You know, I played against Roosevelt High School in JROTC. Roosevelt was- High School in the Bronx. Yeah. So the place is still there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and I think their JROTC program is still very strong. Is it? I didn't know that. I was, yeah, I went to Xavier. So. Oh, oh, you're one of those guys. Okay, educated by the Jesuits, <laughs> but I guess you must have survived it. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I was talking to a financial guy uh, not too long ago. Oh, you, you went to Xavier. Scalia went there. Justice Scalia actually ended up being a friend of mine. 
Is that right? Oh, yes, fantastic sir. man. Fantastic. A wonderful person. And my priest is a friend or is a, at least an acquaintance of uh, Father Scalia. The son. Oh. Yeah, in fact, we spoke to Christopher Scalia after the judge died um, because he was putting together some of just Justice Scalia's writings, whatever, edited into a book. So we spoke to him after. And that's, you know, that was the youngest son who was a college professor. Uh, a truly wise man I, in the, in the uh, secular sphere, I would strongly suspect very similar to the late Benedict XVI. Absolutely. I I would. Well, I would we just talked that, about Benedict, yeah. Benedict the Sixteenth, and and over this past show, one of the kindest people I've ever known. I, I've I've incorporated into my morning and evening prayers his last words, Lord, Lord, I love thee. That that says it all. Last time we were talking in my office, you gave me some very interesting stories about World War Two that I think very few people know about. Can you give us some examples? How about, let me see, uh, th th much of this comes from a, a lecture I put together a couple of years ago before COVID when the fellow running the lecture program discovered at the last minute he had nobody for two weeks, fence, and I had some assorted miscellaneous materials I'd been gathered over the years. One of the last times that the German army was engaged in hostile operations in World War II was on the island of Crete after the surrender. What happened was that uh, the Germans seized Crete in, uh, in June, I believe it was, of 1941 and had basically maintained it as a strong point where they're able to provide some support for Rommel in North Africa. But after uh, the British had uh, defeated the, uh, the Panzer Army Africa and the fighting had gone into Italy and all the way up to Rome, the Germans tried to evacuate as much as they could of their forces in Crete. And uh, but they couldn't get them all out. So uh, the British forces landed in eastern Crete. The Germans withdrew to the eastern part of the island. And for all practical purposes, for about six, eight months, there was a de facto ceasefire. And uh, comes VE Day when uh, by that time the Greek Civil War had broken out and the British were an ally of the Greek government, the, the royal government, which was being reestablished after the ceasefire. And so the Communist Greek guerrillas took on the, the British as their enemy, so the British command post in Crete was being attacked by the communists. And they were very light forces. We're, we're talking, uh, you know, we're, we're not talking heavy artillery. We're not, we're not talking tanks. The only people who still had artillery and tanks on the island were the Germans. Telephone call goes from the British commander to the German commander. Uh, Hello, Mike. Can you think you might be able to help us out? So on scale, what happened is that uh, the, British, uh, the British received like a, a, a platoon or so of Panzer Grenadiers, a tank and heavily armed German infantry uh, to basically escort him throughout uh, where he needed to go for the month or so before the Germans got uh, removed and sent, and sent back home. The Crete was also, uh, and this works into some historical research I'm doing right now, Crete was seen as basically the original home of the gods. On that island, and uh, a couple of, uh, about a year, year before the, the Germans surrender, the Germans had a commander when they, they still controlled all of Crete, who had been committing atrocities against the locals who were, he was retaliating for attacks made by the locals on the Germans. And the Greeks sent out a, a request to the British, can you help us out, uh, fellows? 
So they sent a small group of people, I believe inserted by submarine, and the idea was to seize the German commander and take him out of there. Thing is, by the time that they got there, the German commander who had committed these atrocities had been taken away, removed to a different position, and uh, the main part of the German garrison was, I believe, like, I think something like the 21st uh, Air Mobile Division. Its mission B basically to get into the combat zone by going gliders, not parachuting, but by gliders. And uh, the, the, the German commander ha- of the division had just been reassigned there. He had been a war college professor back in Germany, having before that been a division commander on the Russian front, and his job had been to try to teach lessons learned to new upcoming senior officers, and then he got reassigned there to to take over the the division. So he's the guy who got got kidnapped. They're, They're taking him over the mountains. They're slowly making their way from where they had seized him from his drive, where he'd been going on a inspection where uh, they ambushed basically his car disguised as uh, German troops and making their way over the mountains. And things were pretty tense until a time came when, and we're talking April of 1944, and in the high mountains of Crete, still snow on the ground, uh, the German recites a couple of lines from the poet uh, Horace, the Roman poet Horace, and his British captor completes the poem. And they realized that their fellow civilized, educated people right here in the midst of the Second World War. And so that broke the tension and uh, turned out to be a uh, Brits eventually made a movie about that around 1951 or so. It's one again, one of these small things that happened in the war that eventually have movies made. Another one was uh, uh, a South Korean movie that was made in the last maybe 10 years or so ago based on the fact that American troops, when they landed in Normandy, took some Oriental soldiers in the Wehrmacht as as prisoners. Well, these three guys had been Koreans, drafted into the Japanese army in 1939. In 1939, there was a brief war between Japan and, and the Soviets in Manchuria. These guys were taken prisoners. They were sent into a labor camp and they were there for a couple of years until Operation Barbarossa, June 22, 1941. And uh, the Russians were needing people all over the place. So these guys are combat trained, so they were given their option. Stay in this uh, heavy labor camp or join the Red Army. We'll join. So the three of these guys joined up, and this one particular fellow got assigned to uh, a unit which were, where he was taken prisoner, I think, at the time of the Kursk uh, German counteroffensive in July 1943. So he became a German prisoner and was given the option, join the Wehrmacht or go to prison camp. He joined the Wehrmacht, and he was in a unit that was in Normandy, and he was captured. There were pictures where he was being interrogated by an American uh, intelligence guy and uh, lived happily ever after, went back to Korea, and uh, and uh, they had a movie made about his experiences about 10 years ago. One person I've known who was a World War II hero was uh, one of my professors at uh, at uh, City University of New York Graduate School, a fellow by the name of Hans Treffus. He uh, had been a born in Germany, 1920, I believe, 1933. He and his family escaped. Comes War II, as with many uh, Germans 
and German Jews, he found himself a place in army intelligence, among other things, to be interrogating German prisoners and find out what's going on from them. He achieved some very high honors, I believe the Silver Star, if not higher, from an obit written by one of my other professors at the City University doctoral program. I didn't know it at the time. He had taught our course in uh, progress, uh, in uh, no, the Reconstruction Era. Reconstruction Era. For some reason, he got interest, interested in that, and that's where he got his PhD and did writings in. He was responsible in the last weeks of the war for convincing the German commander of this gigantic monument in Leipzig. Imagine something along this, the height of the Washington Monument, but much larger, uh, where they basically had in there maybe 300 German troops and 300 American prisoners, and the, this colonel was vowing to blow the place up. He went in there and was able to talk to the German colonel in his own in his own lingo, and having some background of course in German culture of course as well, he was able to use the experience of a story from the Napoleonic Wars where a senior German officer surrendered to uh, his position because having tried to hold on, a large number of civilians would have been killed. So he talked them into surrendering. At uh, This was at the, the, uh, the, the Battle of, the, of the, uh, the Memorial for the Battle of the Nations, which took place in uh, Leipzig in 1813. They built a memorial around the turn of the 20th century. So it still stands because he was able to talk them out of blowing it up. But he got another medal because he was single-handedly able to convince the crew of one of these last German supersized armor vehicles into surrendering instead of going into action. And we didn't know anything at all about this when we had Professor Treufus as a student. In relation to that, one of our other faculty members that I had was uh, served on the Eastern Front and later became a general. And talking once, calling up to uh, to uh, Dr. Dr. Gorka's program, I told him almost almost without much exaggeration that one month I'm in Vietnam and the next month I'm at City University Grad School. And one of my professors was for military history class a professor Hans uh, uh, Bela Kirai. Bela Kirai had been Royal Hungarian Army, serving on the Eastern Front, World War II. He was with the Hungarian Army after the war, and he would tell us that, forget all the nonsense you've been taught about Stalin not having a plan to invade Yugoslavia when Tito broke away from the communist bloc. I was supposed to be in command of one of the echelons that would go against Marshal Tito and the Yugoslavs. And a couple of years after that came the Hungarian Revolt. He was one of the military leaders of the Hungarian Revolt and was briefly victorious. But upon the crushing of the revolt by Khrushchev's tanks in October 1956, made his way to the States, got his doctorate and taught us. He was a, he was on the faculty of Brooklyn College, as I believe Professor Trefus was also. I, I could kind of guess it made sense that you had French men in the Waffen-SS combat SS. Yeah. And you're saying there were a few British guys in there? There, there, there was a small British detachment. Also, a, a larger element of French. There was a Charlemagne or Charlemagne division. They did some heavy recruiting in France. They they did it in all the occupied countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I remember the Charlemagne division, you yeah. know, but 
And uh, the, the last residue of the Charlemagne division were uh, consisted of about a, uh, a company or size detachment or so. And as all of the Germans were trying to get out of Berlin, these guys were uh, embarked on trucks and they were getting in there. And I believe they were engaged in the, com- in the combat at the city center, which uh, uh, eventually culminated in the, 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 uh, the loss of the Reichstag, which was defended by a motley crew of army sailors, Waffen SS and, and and Frenchmen. Any idea what happened to the British and French guys after the war? Uh, what we'd call uh, in my Vietnam days a nine millimeter retirement ceremony, I believe, or something like that. <laughs> I, I know something similar happened to all, to most of the Russians who joined up with the Germans as well. We have uh, uh, General uh, Andrei Vlasov who was captured in the. Uh, lines of uh, Leningrad during the German siege there, and he went over to the German side, and he uh, basically recruited among Russian prisoners of the Germans a rather large force, uh, I think maybe two divisions or so, but uh, and pretty much violating Hitler's orders, but the Germans were saying, we, we need these guys, we need these guys, so they organized and trained these guys, put them in German uniforms, gave them uh, German, uh, German weapons, but they never really saw combat, Except at the last day or two of the war, they were in Czechoslovakia. And when uh, Prague rose up against the Germans, these guys went to support uh, the Prague rebels against the Germans. And uh, their repayment was uh, Operation Dragoon, where they were sent back to the Soviet Union. And they had no happy ending after all. Yeah. Lord Haha, we talked about that. What do you know about him? Because he was he was executed after the war. Yeah, William Joyce, he was just a Brit, and he was a fascist sympathizer uh, in the years before that. Uh, but he was a civilian, and he never was a civilian. took up, took up a any civilian, war, yeah. arms or anything. Yeah, It's a different world, you know, like when, when you think about it. Of course, after the war, they, we were so people were so used to death and killing and whatever, so... It wasn't that extraordinary, I guess, to execute people, even if they never yeah, for, fired a gun or... Yeah, and uh, there, there are stories where even Americans engaged in battlefield actions of that sort. I uh, remember seeing something where uh, a platoon of Germans were uh, paratroopers in Sicily. They were treated summarily, summarily by uh, American paratroopers there. And uh, so, as they say, these kind of things happen. And... Which is not to say that there are good guys and there are bad guys on both sides. One of the trivia aspects of World War II are the different Germans who have been honored by their enemies. And if I had been uh, had this fact at close hand, there was a German soldier who has just been honored by a statue in the Netherlands. Forgetting his name, I'm sorry. But he was with a German platoon that was being sheltered in a farmhouse during the British invasion of the Netherlands uh, that led up to the, the bridge too far. And uh, in a farmhouse, and they, as they're beginning to receive some incoming fire, there are two little itty-bitty munchkins out there in the yard. He impulsively runs out there, grabs these two kids, brings them inside to shelter, goes back outside to be with the rest of his platoon. He was hit by the next mortar shell and bladdered in, into some into smithereens a couple of years ago these two kids now in their 80s said you know this guy did us a good turn and we wouldn't be alive today they did some investigating they put up a statue to him 
There is another German officer about the very same time as this, uh, the most, I'll, I'll not put any crit critical uh, comments on it, but one of the battles that we might have or perhaps should have avoided the Battle of the Huykenwalds, where the, I guess, was largely the first army attacking the forests of Germany, figuring it's the most direct line to, uh, to the Rhine, and held up by Germans who were well positioned there, and the Germans had their... Uh, uh, their their pillboxes firing machine guns, and they're manned by a company of uh, of infantry along that line. And of course, before that, a line of uh, of anti personnel mines. Well, the American troops were attacking that that pillbox. One of them gets hit by one of the landmines. Everybody else retreated. He is in agony, total agony, uh, as of course you might expect would be the case. The German lieutenant in the pillbox gives an order to his, his medical corpsman, come with me and bring your... Uh, Morphine or... Nah, no, nah, what, what do you call it? You carry the guys in. Stretcher. Stretcher. Bring a stretcher. We're going to get this guy and bring him some aid. He gets blown up by a landmine. And it's the American regiment to uh, to which the soldier was assigned. They both died, uh, apparently, and they've elect, erected a monument to him. Uh, another fellow who, uh, when the, the Nazis were trying to fight a battle to the last man in Vienna, among other German troops were Austrians, and uh, this major tried to uh, stymie the uh, uh, the defense of Vienna so uh, so the city would not be destroyed. He was caught. He was executed. He was uh, in a, there's a street in uh, in uh, Vienna, I believe, named after him today, which leads to another one of these events at the end of the war, where just outside of uh, one of the, the concentration camps near uh, near Munich, uh, the, again we have the SS wanting to make a stand to the last man. A, a couple of units of the army were opposed to that, and they took on the SS, and uh, they were defeated and. Uh, and the, again, we're talking German army fighting the German SS, and uh, and uh, the, the German troops were all captured and killed by the by by the SS. There's another episode which there was supposed to be a movie being made. I'm not too sure if ever there was. Again, one of the last days of the war, there was a castle Itter, I believe, I T T E R, in either southern Bavaria or northern Austria where the Germans had prisoners of civilian VIPs, including uh, Leon Blum, who was the prime minister before the war, and several other long, high officials, I believe a sister of General de Gaulle, and the orders were to kill these people. The commander of the, 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 the castle refused to do so, and finding out that there were American detachments not too far away, he sent one of the prisoners, the Yugoslav, get on this bicycle and go to the Americans and get help here right away. The Americans sent a tank and some infantry there, and so there was a brief battle which was fought between the German army and the American army on the one hand against the Waffen-SS on the other. The only casualty was the German major who had uh, directed to try to get help, and I believe there was a movie to be made about this. I'm, I'm not certain if ever there was one. So all of these different things which uh, are not the kind of stuff that makes their way into the, the middle school or high school, or even college history books, but uh, you, have, you have to be curious enough to start digging up to find this kind of information. What are your thoughts on the movie Valkyrie? Haven't seen it, but I believe the, the general story is quite correct. Uh, seen seen excerpts from it. 
uh, aspect of this. Uh, I guess it shows the execution of uh, Colonel uh, Stauffenberg. Stauffenberg. Yeah. Okay, two aspects of that. I came across some videos of uh, German Army training, modern day, and uh, shows uh, this is basically a squad of little itty-bitty high school graduate kids who are basically sent to a German boot camp, and it's for them. It's more more like a uh, a sorority in college than it is the kind of boot camp I I knew about. And it shows them going through their training, and at the culmination of their training, where they're formally sworn in, they get put on planes and buses, and they they get to the present building, which is the headquarters of the German War Ministry, which had been the headquarters of the German War Ministry about. Oh, maybe a mile or two to the northwest of uh, the, the Reichstag and Hitler's bunker, and right in front of where a memorial to Stauffenberg has been erected is where they have their swearing in, and it's with the spirit of Stauffenberg that uh, they are they are uh, made members of the the modern German Bundeswehr. And in that connection, I came across another video of uh, of a fellow who was brought up in Bavaria as a teenager born well after the war. And uh, his father had been a Panzer commander. And they lived in the house, and there was a nice old lady living on the upper floor, and there was this real gigantic portrait of her husband on the landing between the two floors in his resplendent in his, in his uniform. And this fellow's, uh, this this kid's father said, uh, after the kid admired the picture and what a great hero he must have been, he was a traitor, his father tells him. The name of the nice lady upstairs is Mrs. or Countess Schenk. Uh, she was Mrs. Stauffenburg. And turns out this fellow was sufficiently interested in the Holocaust as a result of looking into this that he uh, he was going to medical school at the time. He decided that he would want to uh, live in Israel and uh, became commissioned in the Israeli army and served as an Israeli army doctor and has since uh, moved back to the, to the States and telling his story and absolutely fascinating story. There are stories that are yet to be told which do not work, make their way into the history books. Right. Well, a lot of them are too small. Now, we're running pretty close to... A half hour right here, so I think we have to end it up. But maybe we'll try this again in a month or two? Sure. Walter, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, 
there are rules. So St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer. You know, thanks again to Joe Hansen. I mean, the guy's knowledge of history is incredible. He's, he's similar to Ed Bars. Is and, he going to come back on, please? Yeah, but we're going to try. Uh, uh, two people asked me last week about Ed Bars and why don't we play Ed Bars interviews again. And, you know, obviously he passed on, so we haven't been doing new interviews. But I guess we'll check through the archives and see if we can uh, find one of the Ed Bars interviews or, or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, because some of our old ones, I guess, from when we were first on the air, uh, may be corrupted by now. You know, that's 12, 13 years ago. But uh, we'll we'll try to find something from Ed Bars that's still good. And, of course, toward the end of Ed's life, he was deaf, and sometimes his questions were a little awkward. But we'll That's go on, okay. Yeah, that's we'll go, okay. We'll go to the uh, the archives and try to rummage up a Ed Bars interview, which, by the way, if you check YouTube— I mean, there are a lot of things on YouTube right now, but one, we have our seminars on YouTube. If you can't, if you've never gotten to one of our seminars or if, like we talked earlier, if you want, if you have a charitable organization or a senior citizens group or a church group or whatever, and you want us to speak there, you can get an idea of some of the points we cover in our seminars because you get on YouTube. Michael, what's the YouTube address for that? All you have to do is go to YouTube.com and search Ask the Lawyer, Mike Connors, Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar. And uh, just Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar should do it on its own, but just in case. And if you type in Connors Corner and some of the interviews, you can get some of the interviews that we did in the past, like with Ed Bars. A lot of the Ed Bars interviews are still up there. Um, and, you know, with our buddy Patrick Wayne, we got um, some there. And, of course, the... One YouTube video which has the most hits is the Toy Soldier Collection, 
which Beth talked about a little bit earlier, but we have, last I checked, we had over 280,000 hits on the Toy Soldier collection. And that gives you a very brief overview. And by the way, if any of you see that video, we've expanded to our collection and improved it. So, and we're going to continue to improve it as long as I can. That's right. And many of the pieces, by the way, I want to give a shout out. There's a designer that we know that we met from the Chicago Toy Soldier Show. Uh, many of our pieces now that we're collecting are custom. And so, I mean, Dad, you, do you want to talk about the artistry that goes into some of the stuff like Yellow sure. Tavern? Absolutely. Well, we have some buildings like Yellow Tavern. We can give you the car to the guy who made them. But we're well, a little Marcus. bit slow. We're a little bit slow in communicating with him. And I think That's he's mad okay. at us. No, he's not mad at us. We said we get to him in October, and it's now January. Well, you had to figure out what you wanted to do. Now that we've got the grand scene for crying out loud. Yeah, he's, let's hope he's still around. Uh, uh, we can do it. Well, wait, 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 no, wait. But, Mar- no. but Marcus is a genuine artist. No, he I mean, is. That, he that is. One, he's one wonderful. Thing, one common thread through our whole family is that we all really do love genuine art. Absolutely. And that's you know. We're, we're all collectors. I've got a portrait of Otto by a <laughs> friend in Spain. I've got, you know, Dad's got all his miniatures. It's, you know. It's great. Yeah. That's why you have to come see us. Um, how old is Mr. Marcus? I don't know. I don't think he may not want us to tell the okay. world. Okay, okay, okay. And yeah. wait, how do you get the soldiers? What is it on YouTube? Um, that you're going to search. just search... Michael Connors Toy Soldiers. I think that that's all you need to do on YouTube. All right. Now, let's get back to business again. Uh, Michael, if somebody has a, a question you want to email us, because over the holidays, I think we've neglected this, and we haven't gotten really a lot of questions over the last few weeks. Um, if, if you have a question to ask us about estate planning, elder law, or almost anything else, if we can't answer it, we might pass. But, Michael, where do you, where do you send the questions to? AskMikeConnors at gmail.com. That's AskMikeConnors at gmail.com. Remember, Connors is spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. It's not with an E. A lot of people make that mistake. And don't forget that if you have something to ask us, we can always refer you to somebody if it's not within our field. You know, that's that we can always put you to somebody that we trust and that you can trust in order to solve your legal needs all right so again if you if you do want to talk about estate planning and elder law and that's what we're in business for you know give us a call to schedule an appointment i go to each one of the five offices you know brooklyn queens manhattan staten island and again i go to each one of the offices some people say which office do you work out of i say i go to all of them and so whoever answers the phone can tell you what office I'm going to be in on a given day. So if you want to schedule an appointment, we don't charge for the first consultation. The initial consultation is free on anything that we're talking about, which is estate planning and elder law. If we're doing estate planning, elder law plans, ordinarily we don't, almost always, we don't charge by the hour, we charge by the job. So if you come in, we'll give you an estimate. You know how much it costs to carry out the plan. And... You know, no matter what kind of circumstances, situations you come up with, you know, I've we've been there before. I've been doing this for more than 40 years now. And you can give us a call at 718-238-6500. 
718-238-6500. Beth, you want to say something? Well, yes. We had something sad um, recently. Cardinal Pell. Cardinal Pell was a stalwart of the church and just truly an extraordinary man. So, you know, we mourn his passing. Um, it, it seems like we just keep losing all the best, you know, requiescat and pace Pope Benedict as well. But yeah, um, now one thing you might want to note is just remember that our Bayside office has changed. So oh, yeah, that's a housekeeping note for everyone else. Yeah. If you schedule for Bayside, give us a call, confirm the address. We're on Bell Boulevard. Now we move from Northern Boulevard. It's only about 10 blocks away, 10 short blocks. But if you want to schedule an appointment, please check it out. Again, I think the time is up for our show today. You can listen to us at the same station, same times next week. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Sing this all away. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.